I was at a conference this week from the, it's called the Investments and Wealth Institute. And by at, I mean, I was at my desk looking at it through a screen. Quite often, I would be there normally in person, but something's happened in the last 18 months or so that's caused travel to be off somehow. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill up the wall with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another hugely exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach starring Jake and... Jeff McClure. Yes, we are uh, we're occasionally able to say our names together. We got it right. I was watching your, your lips on the screen. Watch my lips. Rather than waiting for you to say it in the time, I think you would. Mo nor taxes. Mo nor, or you're saying no more. Got it. Mo nor. Mo nor. No, I said mo nor taxes. Right. Mo nor. Right. This this is the personal wealth coach, and you can tell already that we're in a mood. Uh, Yeah. The the mood is here with us. Uh, This is Jake McClure and Jeff McClure, and we are going to be talking about economics today. But before we get started, we have some things that we have to say. We have to disclose. We have yeah. to take our clothes off. Yes, we have to disclose. These are important, and I know they take a little bit of time. Um, the Personal Wealth Coach is not just a radio program, in case you were wondering if it was that. It's also a podcast. But it's, <laughs> it's also the, the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. Um, that It is registered with the SEC to give fiduciary advice, but the SEC, just because it's registered with them, doesn't give them any, doesn't give us, the firm, or anybody else any kind of approval. Uh, if we go to the SEC seeking approval, we'll be waiting a very long time. They don't approve. They just don't deny. And then sometimes they do deny, which is the bad part. Uh, well, they never we tell you that in advance. We tell you about the SEC registration because it's important to know. And second, it's who you get to complain to if we're saying something not just stupid, that's normal, uh, but uh, harmfully stupid. Uh, you misleading. Wanna, misleading, yes. Right. Fraudulent, things right. like that. Stuff. Stuff. Not stupid. Stupid and, is not illegal yet, we're, so we're good for a while. And there have, been, there have been radio programs, talk radio programs, that air on Saturday morning where the person doing the program uh, has gotten in criminal trouble. Yes. With the SEC. Quite a large not number just, of them, actually. <laughs> not actually, not just civil trouble, but criminal trouble, where they were charged with fraud and all kinds of things. Right. So we always have the potential to say something on here, vertently or inadvertently. And all I of our... advertently. W- nobody read us the Miranda rights, but all of this is being recorded and can and will be used against us. Yeah, all in that court of stuff. law. Uh, or, yeah. or just in the court of embarrassment, if it comes to that as well. Uh, but there's another disclosure. You want to give the next one? We don't pay for the radio program. They don't pay us. We do uh, receive some benefit. We've been doing this for 25 years now, and we do receive some benefit for doing this radio program in that we have a lot of clients who listen to it, and it's, an, it's a relatively efficient way to communicate with our clients. And occasionally, we actually have people who've been listening for a long time who say, hey, would you like to manage our money for us? Because 
we've been listening to you for a long time and you make me feel very sleepy and I like to feel sleepy when I'm dealing with money. Yes. Um, all good so far. And uh, I can also say that uh, no, no, the information no, no, we no. I'm gonna I'm gonna step in the middle of you can do the do educational one. thing. Yeah. yeah. That, okay. You do you, the educational. All thing. right. So right. Uh, this is not investment advice. I know we just said that the firms all registered to do that, but you can't do that on the air. So it's educational. We're gonna try to give you education. We're gonna learn you how to talk good. That's right. Now you can do your, your deeming, if you would like, to talk good to us. The educational information we present on this radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable. Oh, you but talk we make good. no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. See, I'd use my radio voice, too, yeah. when I did that. I tell you, you, cool. you talk good. All right. Ladies so, and gentlemen, boys and girls. Now we can actually jump into the meat of what happened this week in the market and our um, prognostications or at least gnostications about uh, uh, our navels uh, for the rest of the several hours. Should be good stuff. Um, we, what happened this week? Well, the market went up. Without actually leaving New York. Yeah, well, if you, if you take just the New York Stock Exchange, it's at 44 Wall Street. Do they have any plate tectonics and making it move up? What's, how is no. it the market moved up? It's just basically there. The numbers got um, bigger. We had some really interesting information come out this week regarding inflation and interest rates and things like that. That In any normal circumstance... A reasonable person said, oh, the market is about to crater because uh, inflation just hit a 42-year high. I think it was 42 years. It was back to 1982 since the last time it was this high. Um, the Fed is undoubtedly going to raise interest rates and it's going to crush the economy. Therefore, the market should have crashed during this week. Okay? And so should have bonds. They should have crashed too. Instead... The S&P 500 stock index, which is the indicator we follow for the main stock market, rose 3.82% just this week, closed at a record high, 47.12.02. So we got a lot of bad news during the week, and the market closed at a record high. The index is now up 25.45% this year and 28.62% from one year ago at this point in December. Uh, Mid-cap value index, the CRSP mid-cap value index rose 2.86. It's up 24.35% uh, year today. And believe me, I hope we get in, we able, we're able to talk about that. But um, it's an interesting thing also going on in the market. We mentioned this in the newsletter, that there are more stocks making new 52-week low, lows each week than making 52-week highs. In other words, the whole stock market isn't rising. It's entirely possible that you could be invested, and we've actually seen this occur, not in portfolios we manage, but in other people's portfolios, where during 2021, a stock portfolio fell substantially during the year. It's apparently not that hard to do because the majority of stocks are down for the year. Uh, 
it does take a little bit of extra effort to do it for an advisor, but still it, it, it can be done and it has been. That's a good sign if we're looking at the total market because historically, and there's no guarantee that just because it happened in the past, it'll, it'll happen now or in the future. When bull markets reach their peak, major peaks, I'm not talking about just before a correction, I'm talking about like in 1999 and early 2000, literally every stock on the market was sitting 52 weeks high. I mean, people were investing in stocks that had very little financial health, no plan to make money, losing money hand over fist, and they still were hitting record highs because people were buying stocks the way they bought the meme stocks earlier this year, meme stocks being things like GameStop, uh, but with less rationality to it. So uh, it doesn't look like we're at the top of a major bull market. No guarantees there, that's for sure. The benchmark 10-year U.S. Treasury note yield, which we follow pretty carefully because it basically tells us what's going on in the bond market, um, fell a little bit this week. It, it uh, I mean, the yield went up, but the bond values went down. The, the yield went up 6.51%. It's at 1.484%, but it's still well below the 1.64% it held. It was doing in October and still up dramatically from the 0.91% we saw at the beginning of the year. So, so far, the bond market is saying, and the, and the yield curve is still nice and steep, that good times are coming ahead, and the bond market just doesn't expect that much inflation over the next 10 years. It's the, the bond market is, in essence, saying roughly one5 to 2% inflation over the next 10 years is what it expects, the people who invest in the bond market. Uh, which is, of course, quite different from the the alarms that we've been hearing about and so on. Uh, West, West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil, WTI, it rose uh, about 8.7% to 71.98. Why? Uh, your guess is really about as good as anybody else's on that. It rose because it rose. Uh, sometimes things just happen in the market. Uh, but 71.98 is a, is a good number. It's well, it's roughly in the middle of where it's been recently. It's been up to almost $80, and it's been down to nearly $60 at various times. Uh, pretty healthy price overall. Uh, it's it's about, But it's dropped about 11% over the trailing 30 days, so it's nowhere near as high as it used to be. And that's the markets. Good. Oh, something we didn't tell people. What's that? If you would like to join in and ask us questions or tell us to talk about something or express your thoughts on a subject, you're certainly welcome to email us at either, at both, preferably, jeff at tpwc.com and jake at tpwc.com, and we will receive your email, Lord willing, and discuss it on the air. Good deal. I have a, a, a piece of input as to why oil rose. Okay. Um, and it's, it's a derivative of something else. The EPA made a decision this week um, that... Uh, is lowering the amount of ethanol that is required to be in gasoline in most places. Mm -hmm. That means yeah. that more gasoline will be required for cars. And so this is why it didn't slam upward really fast. It just moved upward because they're still seeing the same interesting will will people be driving more or less with this new variant of the virus and by the way you can play that as a sound clip at any point throughout uh 
the pandemic and into the future of will people be driving more or less with this variant of the virus, whatever that variant might be at that moment. Um, so that's what's been driving oil prices downward recently is that people were going, well, maybe people are going to be flying less. They'll be driving less. And now the EPA has come out and said, um, hey, but we're going to put less ethanol in the gas. And the price of ethanol has been uh, going up pretty quick. Uh, that's been, it's up at its highest point that it's been in like a decade. And part of that is for the same reason that gasoline prices were going up so fast. When, when the pandemic hit, people stopped driving and a big chunk of ethanol production in the United States, like the vast, vast majority of it is for gasoline. So more of the corn was routed to other places than ethanol during that time period when people weren't using it very much. And it's taking a long time to get it rerouted back in. It's supply chain stuff again. Uh, this is something we talked about in the newsletter and kind of fits in nicely to that is that uh, oil uh, energy and food prices are the most affected by inflation, deflation. They swing all over the place and they don't hold to us a, a standard annual pattern. They move around with, with demand and when the harvest is and whether or not oil has been struck recently by a big firm somewhere. All of that stuff kind of fits together to cause a lot of fluctuations. The supply chain issue on the oil side is a big part of why we're getting this upward movement in gas for so long. And then the slight reprieve that we got over the last month, or last week, I suppose, and now it's moving back up. Um, it's still supply chain stuff. We've got, a, we've, we've got refineries that are being retooled, we've, but the end is in sight on that. That's something important to recognize is that gas prices cannot continue. We said this in the, in the newsletter. If you look at the parts of prices that are going up the most quickly over the last year or so, the ones that are the most inflated, and oil is one of those, you can keep going to, to fill in the blank, whatever you're, you want to complain about a price going up. The ones that have gone up the fastest at some point, when the price goes up high enough, people will simply stop buying them. So that's something referred to as an unsustainable inflation rate. And it's, if it's so much higher than other items in an economy, then it won't stay going up that speed forever unless people just stop making them completely and there's only three of them left in the world. Um, so, so that concept of when you remove those portions of inflation and you look forward and you say, this is not a sustainable growth rate, people will not pay $40 a gallon for gasoline. Um, Wait a minute. Now, I think the smart thing to do, given that new car, uh, I mean, used cars are up, what was it, some... Well, particularly I, high number. Yeah, double digits at least and nearly triple digits in some cases. 31%. 31%, I think it was. Mm -hmm. um, used cars and trucks are up 31% over the last year. So if we use the same rationale that people commonly use on stocks. That means this year they should be up 31% again, right? Right. So I well, think the smart thing to do at this point is to go out and buy a lot of used cars. 
This is us being facetious. Please do not go out and buy a bunch of used cars right now because what we were saying about the end is in sight. The reason why those cars are so expensive is because we made a lot fewer cars for a while when people stopped buying cars and it took a long time for those factories to get back up and running. All the chains of factories for all the parts for all yep. of the factories. They're up. It's up 31.4%. New vehicles are up 11%. Uh, in, in a lot of cases, now this is something, this is one of the points I want to make. I don't think, this is why I don't think inflation is set to continue at a high rate like it did in the late 70s and early 80s. In many cases where I've actually looked at the numbers, a several-year-old used vehicle was selling on the open market for a higher price than a brand-new version of the vehicle. Correct. Yeah. And that will not. The, and, and we'll tell you why that is, because on the surface of that sounds like that's ludicrous. Why would anybody do that? It's very similar to what happened last year around April and May when people were having to pay someone else to buy their oil. Not not I will buy your oil and I'll pay you money for it. No, you will pay me money and I will. Uh, and, I'll take the oil off your hands. And I'll take them because there was no place to store all the oil. And, and there's a lag time to get a new car right now. If you go to buy a car, they will say, all right, we're, we'll get that to you in six weeks. If you need a car for work today, you can't wait six weeks. So you're willing to pay more for a, a used car that's at least there. And that extra payment's going to come out of your six weeks of pay that you wouldn't have gotten if you had to walk to work. So that's, that's why that we say there's parts of this that are unsustainable is that now that cars are getting coming out again, this is extra reason. Uh, basically all of the major car manufacturers are saying that the future is going to be majority electric. Uh, the only quibble in there is on the time frame. Most of the, most of the car manufacturers say the majority of the cars that they will produce in five years will be electric. Nissan is saying maybe 10. Okay, so what does that do to used car prices if you have a used car that's not electric, that doesn't drive itself? That Just think back to the times when we went from little things like the hand crank to put your window up and down to a button to do it. And people go, ah, nobody's ever going to discount it because you have to crank the window up. Everybody's got to, nope, it's like, hundreds and sometimes thousands of dollars less expensive because you have to hand crank. I know it's, it's like a really hard exercise, but this is, this is just the reality of the marketplace is what about airbags? New technology makes things better. <laughs> I know that's weird. Not always. Sometimes new technology makes it worse, but those tend to fail. The ones that do well, it's because they have new technology that's making your life have more quality. Unless you're looking at the nostalgia of owning your first car and that's still a gas guzzler or whatever, something like that, there's still a collector's niche market. But the vast majority of used car sales are not nostalgia related, <laughs> which means that in the coming decade, it's a really bad idea to own a bunch of used cars because the prices on those cars are likely to drop unless they have the new technology and we've seen that at every new technological shift. So that's kind of me tagging on to what you were saying when talking about the market is that um, 
the price fluctuations that we're seeing, the long term on inflation, we just don't see it as being a long term sustainable thing. The, the Federal Reserve has come out and said if it if it stays up a little bit longer, we're going to start cranking up. Uh, we're going to cut off our bond buying sooner and we're going to crank up interest rates. And they've said that all along. It's important to recognize why the market went up in face of a 6.8% inflation rate, too. The primary thing, I think, driving the rise in the market was the fact that economists across the board had forecast, the, the consensus forecast was 6.8%, and it came out to 6.8%. Now, when I say 6.8%, that's unadjusted between last year at this time and now. Now, of course, to, to caveat that a little bit, if you pull out the unsustainable items it looks like inflation's running at about 3.4% for one year. And that is also misleading because there was a depression in demand in a lot of areas last year at this time. We weren't seeing inflation last year. We were seeing deflation, if anything. Now, but it goes on a little further. If, since the economists predicted this so accurately, and they seem to have a handle on what's driving this inflation, so a really good handle on it, and we can talk about what's driving the inflation, uh, which is interesting in and of itself, then their forecast is probably correct going into the future. That's the thought process. Well, their forecast going into the future is within the next 12 to 24 months, inflation rates will drop back down to the traditional, the thing we've seen in the past, which is around 2%. And when you look at the actual numbers, you look at what's driving inflation, you look at what is going on in the economy that's causing inflation, it makes tremendous sense. The things driving the train, back in the 70s and 80s when we had runaway inflation and it was a serious threat to the economy, we had two major, we we had one major issue driving inflation, and that is the fact that wages were going up without people improving their work rates. And they were going up in advance of anticipated inflation. So the higher the wages went with more and more people having more and more money to spend, the more they were willing to pay for something. So the more people raised the prices for it and the more expensive it got to build things because the workers were making more and more money. And it's kind of a feedback loop that had to be unwound. And this is what some people in the market are quite afraid of. That feedback loop was unwound by Paul Volcker by raising interest rates to double digits and so slowing the economy down that we got one of the more severe post-World War II recessions we've ever had in 1982. And it, from there on, interest rates and inflation dropped consistently through now, which is like 40 years, actually through last year. And is that likely to happen? No, because in this particular instance, inflation is being driven almost exclusively by one thing, and that is a shortage of goods and services that people want to buy. And the process to increase the volumes of goods and services available to the people who want to buy them is slow. But it works because people can make money by creating new goods and services. For example, let me give you a big one. Okay. We have a shortage of chips. That shortage of chips, by the way, would have would have eventually hit us with or without the pandemic. But it's hitting us a little faster and all at once because of the pandemic. Locally here in Central Texas, if you've been following the news. Or our Samsung, program. 
<laughs> we, Samsung we is about ago. to build a major chip forge factory in Taylor, Texas, which is right near where we are. And that's going on all over the country. In other words, it's going to take a year or two to get the capacity up to meet the demand for the new technology that people want to buy and the new things that people want to buy. But it's coming. And the other thing is, let me, let me throw this piece in here. And this is from all of the major car companies. Again, the, the chip supply shortage is expected to end now. Um, and we talked about this last week and the week before, and that's based on the chips that we're short on are last generation chips. They were for last year's cars. Well, next year's cars are being made this year. That's how they get made. 2022 cars are already being made right now. They're already being released right now. And they use a new type of chip where the 2020, 2021 time period, everything got all wonky there because of the pandemic. And all the chip manufacturers said, hey, the car camp companies aren't wanting this. Who do we make chips for? Well, now they've got factory lines all lined up making it. Now it's just a matter of getting them from the factory to the factory, from one factory to the next. Now it's just a transportation lag rather than a, a, a manufacturing and transferring lag. Um, it's just, we're, we're taking steps for it. It's baby steps, but, but it's happening. And all the car manufacturers are saying they don't see the chip shortage lasting deeply into 2022 tesla has said maybe six weeks and they have more chips in their cars uh as a manufacturer than anybody else all the all the electric cars are having chips in them and that's part of what's going on here and a similar thing is going on in the other parts of the economy for example meat prices are up dramatically why well if you go back a year ago if you can remember that long (laughs) the meat packing plants were shutting down because of COVID, because the people catching COVID and getting sick and the workers not showing up. And so the people who develop meat, the people who grow the cows and the hogs and everything else, suddenly had a lot of animals that they couldn't sell. And they had to sell them at deep, in order to get rid of them, they had to sell them at deeply discounted prices. And just, and just, they can't afford just to keep them because they got to keep feeding them and they lose money when they do that. Let me give you a, so, a quick local example of that. There's meat processors all over Texas. There's meat processors over every state because everywhere you go, they've got somewhere that cattle or other livestock are being raised for slaughter. So meat processing is all over, and there's big ones and there's little ones. The big ones are the ones that were really getting shut down, and the little ones were getting so packed. They still have a six-months wait list. If you're a local uh, livestock owner and you go to one of the local meat processors and you say, hey, I used to be able to get this this weekend. What's going on? And they say, well, you get it six months from now because we don't have the space. Uh, It's the same everywhere. So those, that's a local anecdote of the reality that's happening across the meat market right now. Anyway, the meat producers, like the oil producers a year ago, got burned. And there's an old saying, once burned, twice wary. They are really hesitant. First of all, it takes a while to up that production again. It takes about a year. And the second thing that that is impacting is once burned twice wary is an old saying and it's true so both the oil producers and the meat producers across the country are being very cautious about suddenly increasing the supply to meet this tremendous demand because it could go away very very quickly and they're scared 
Oil production in the United States has fallen off pretty dramatically, despite the high prices we have right now. Why? Because the investors got that, that fund the oil production, the new oil production, the new oil wells, and so on, the fracking, really got burned last year. And it's not just... And they yeah, just aren't interested in speculating anymore. Let, let me kind of give you some... So a lot of that fracking was done by... The old term for it is wildcatters. They go out there and they're just... You know, they're running on the edge of their profit margin, just barely making it. But man, they're going to get a lot of money out of this eventually. Well, when oil demand dropped to nothing, they got burned bad and a lot of them went bankrupt. Yeah. And so a lot of the assets are not free. They're still wrapped up in bankruptcy court proceedings. They're not free to drill. They are not available. Now, a lot of those assets are getting purchased by other companies, and some of the bankrupt companies are coming back out of bankrupt, out of bankruptcy. But the process is not simple or quick. It's certainly not a turn on a dime. The demand is up, so let's start pumping. It is more like uh, we'll get a court hearing in the next six weeks at some point to tell us when the next court hearing is, to tell us when we might have another hearing about when we're actually freed up to do, you know how the court works. Uh, it is it is a process. They well, that call the it a process. When oil prices dropped before, it was because it was a huge amount of money that had been invested when oil was at $100 a barrel. Right. It takes a while to mature. It takes a while to bring those producti- that production online. And people thought they were going to make a lot of money as a result when the production came online. Instead, it they overproduced, in effect, and they didn't really overproduce. It was the the pandemic that so decreased demand just as they were hitting peak production. And investors are just not willing to throw a lot of money in there where other people got burned before. If you'd like to talk to us off the air, email us, Jeff or Jake, at tpwc.com. Go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com. There's podcasts. There's newsletters you can sign up for. You can call us directly locally on a landline or otherwise at... 254-947-1111. Or toll-free at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to the webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. You can email us through there, contact us through there, podcasts, newsletters, all that good stuff. Until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.